Welcome to the Christine Spray Show, bringing you insights and stories from successful CEOs to help grow your business and increase your revenue. The Christine Spray Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Christine Spray. Hi, I am Christine Spray, and welcome to another episode of the Christine Spray Show. For this episode, our guest host is David Spray, and he is talking to Ken Kroc, a founding partner of the Houston law firm Rapp & Kroc. Ken talked about how being crystal clear on their culture has been a big reason for their flourishing growth. He also talked about how and why implementing EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System, contributed to the firm tripling in size over just the last three years. Although Ken is a hard-nosed litigator, he also reveals a softer side by sharing his ever-growing realization that, at the end of the day, relationships are all that matter. Although Ken runs a litigation department, the firm is a full-service firm set up to serve owners and officers of Houston-based businesses with revenues in the 5 to $50 million range. Now let's get to the episode. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, David. Thank you for having me today. Appreciate it. Oh, the, the pleasure is all mine. So I'm an accountant and I'm kind of a sequential thinker. So let's, uh, let's start at the beginning. Are you a native Texan? Well, I, I guess you, I can count myself as a native Texan. I was technically born in Houston, but I moved to Victoria when I was probably a couple of years old. So my technical, I guess, hometown would have to be Victoria, Texas. Okay. So you're Kind of a so you're technically a native Houstonian for sure a native Texan, absolutely. Okay, so you grew up in Victoria, and is that where you went to high school then? Right. So I got there when I was obviously very young. I grew up there, went to high school at Victoria High School, which is actually kind of no longer in existence. It's gone through a number of their mergers, and and so, but I. I Went to school there, graduated from there, uh, and then ended up moving from there to Texas A&M as soon as I graduated. So. Oh, wait, hold on. So I've been, I've retained you to help me with some legal matters. My wife and I have used other members at your firm. And all this time, I didn't find out you were an Aggie. Was this, I mean, I, what's well, up I, with that? Well, I'm, you know, I'm really kind of surprised by that, you know, because if you look at our logo, that is A&M Maroon on it. So, and so we have branded ourselves fairly quickly as Aggie. Brad is a Aggie oh. uh, law partner. He's a class of 88. I'm but class you of guys are the only two. You guys are the only no. two, right? I can live with that. No, no, what? No, I'm sorry Wait, it's you. worse? There's, there's six of us here. So, uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, and, and all this time know, I've been referring people to you all saying that you guys I, are, are awesome. And all this I will time, tell you, I, I understand. I understand. Sometimes it's a little hard to accept that, um, but we Aggies are people too. And, uh, <laughs> and we now I do have some Longhorns here. I have an Oklahoma Sooner here. I have. Uh, That's Clemson. almost worse. The Oklahoma Sooner yeah. is al- almost worse than the Aggie. That's not helping I, any. I know. I, I know. But I, I feel like I have to expand out and create some college diversity at least here. So <laughs> so we definitely I have a couple of longhorns that I count as my very good friends that that have been have joined me in the last couple of years. And so we are equal opportunity here. Okay. Yeah. So obviously we're just kidding around. I, I knew That's, that you yeah. that you were an, were an Aggie. And, and for those that don't know, I'm a proud graduate of the University of Texas, you know, kind of the historical or historical arch rivals of one another. So but but anyway, but no, but in on more serious note, I really appreciate the great work you and your team have done uh, for the years for for my wife and I both uh, for our businesses and personally. So thank you for that. Uh, absolutely, and, and I appreciate you being a, a great supporter of the firm and being a great client of ours. Thank you. Sure. So the good news is, so after you graduated from A and M, you went to law school. And and I'm sure that your first thought was I should go ahead and balance out the agginess with going to the University of Texas to get my law degree. So is that what that could have happened? You're right. That was one possible pathway that that could have happened. I ended up going to the University of Houston. Uh, okay, well that's here. okay. Thank God A and M doesn't have a law school. That's all I have to say. That would just be. <laughs> 
Well, A&M does now have a law school. Oh, no, it gets worse. They they just didn't have one when I was there and so, or when I was going to law school. So unfortunately, they, I did not have that opportunity in front of me. So, Ah, and I I decided, go ahead. ahead. No, I I I have a a degree. I have a degree from U of H as well. So U of H law school, that's perfectly fine. No problem there. Well, it was, you know, in, in some ways, you know, when people are making decisions about where they go to law school, I mean, sometimes it's just making a decision on where you get in. Sometimes it's making a decision based on what you think you're going to do with your career and mm-hmm. uh, what, what kind of schools and certain schools have are known for certain things. And, and at that time, U of H was very well known for having a business mind approach to the practice of law. I mean, it was, it was just, that was sort of, sort of part of the feel of the school. Mm-hmm. And so, so I just, I knew I was going to be involved in representing businesses. I just, I didn't know how that was going to look. I was too young to know that when I was entering law school, but I knew that it was going to be business related. I actually thought I was going to be a transactional. Mm-hmm. And then I, and then I ultimately in law school decided to be a, a trial attorney, but, but I knew it was going to be representing businesses. So that was a good fit for me. Sure. Sure. And, and I believe at one point when I was getting my MBA from U of H, let's see, when were you there? I was, I got my MBA in like 91. So I just missed you. But I think at the time they actually had a joint MBA JD program to, to further your sense that the, right. uh, the business orientation of the degree. And I looked at it and I, and well, and actually I may have even applied to do it, but I ultimately decided that the idea of spending four years at A&M and then I knew I was got another three years at law school and then I was going to tack on another year for a joint degree. At some point, I just felt like I had to get out and actually go do something that wasn't school. And so I just, I, 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 you know, who knows what, where the path would have led if I'd done the joint degree, but I had a business degree in undergrad. So I kind of exactly. felt like I had already covered some of that. Right. So. Yeah, uh, it was it, really, it would have been really redundant. So, and you got to, to enter the, the work world that much sooner, which according to my math was uh, a little over a quarter of a decade ago. That sounds about right. About 1996, I graduated from law school and I, I had already started working for a very small law firm. Um, Mm -hmm. By small, I mean it was a husband and wife, and they had one other lawyer. They were actually thinking about winding down the practice. Both of them were some just icons in the litigation of employment and just really high-end litigation. And when I started working for them as a clerk, I I was learning, and and we didn't know where it was going to go, but they finally just did a 180 and said, you know what, we're going to keep practicing law. We're going to hire you. And as I was telling somebody last night, I sort of became the the third vote in the firm. And so probably kept their marriage going a lot longer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, because, you know, I was the person that, you know, when we were making a decision, if there was a dispute, I was, uh, I, I got to weigh in and be part of that decision. And so it was just a little bit different working environment to get to work with two people very closely that I highly respect. And so and in a very small environment, I had some opportunities to go to larger law firms and do that. When I started coming out, I mean, I, I'd done fairly well in law school, but this was just a little bit more my cup of tea. Gave me the chance to really just like start from the very beginning and, you know, have my relationships with clients, have, you know, learn about how to be a trial lawyer at a very young age by doing, not by reading or watching uh, mm-hmm. as much. And so it was just, it was really a great fit. So that, no, was, that, my, sounds, that was how I ended work with. Yeah. That sounds like a, a great way to start instead of just being a, a cog in some big uh, law firm's legal machine. So I'd like to kind of just generally, you know, kind of breeze by, you know, the next few firms you worked at. I mean, you worked at a mix of, you know, larger and, you know, medium size uh, firms. And then it appears that it was about 12 years ago that you and Brad teamed up. Is that right? Brad Rapp to firm, right. form your current firm? Right. Uh, how did that yeah. come to be? Did you know yeah. Brad at A&M or how did you guys no. come to know each other? No, not at all. So I, I, when I, I, after that small firm, I went to a little bit larger firm, the name Werner Lipper, that ultimately became DLA Piper. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I went to Haynes and Boone, which was even a little bit larger firm. And then in 2009, mm-hmm. I decided that I would you know, go out on my own. I had been a partner there for five, four years, and I just decided I was going to 
go out on my own. I had a lot of support from the firm, a uh, great relationship with a lot of people there. And I formed a, I went back and actually went back to those two individuals that I'd started I see my that. career with. The Nelkins. And yeah, the Nelkins. And I, <clears throat> I started, I went back with them and I spent about a year with them and realized that I was really in a different place in my life than they were. And in that year, I met Brad through a, another lawyer that I had met back when I was clerking and, and he had known me and we kept together. And so he introduced us, worked on a case with Brad for about a year. And then in the summer of 2010, Brad called me and said, you know, I'd like to take you to lunch. And I said, you know, what? I was thinking about calling you and taking you to lunch. And I said, well, you know, what do you want to talk to me about? What do you want to talk to me about? <laughs> and sure enough, we both wanted to talk to each other about emerging our firms. Okay. And so September, 2010, we merged our firms. Okay. And it was, it was an interesting idea. I mean, I had come out thinking I was going to just have a litigation boutique firm. That's what I thought I wanted, but I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to plot that course. I had some clients that were business clients. I didn't know exactly, you know, whether or not that was, I didn't really have a, a, a long-term plan. I was just, you know, practicing law. I had a couple, I had an associate, I had a paralegal. And then Brad and I, Brad was looking for, he was doing transactional work. That was, mm -hmm. His group was doing that. I was doing litigation. He was referring out all of his litigation and he just really thought it would be a lot more comfortable to have that in-house and, and mm -hmm. work on it. So we, we formed this. We spent about a month of several meetings sitting down and every meeting I just felt a lot more comfortable. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, like you well know that in life, you just got to find a, a really good partner to work with in a business. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky enough to do that, you really have just scored the, the golden ticket. So mm -hmm. I got a great partner in Brad and, and we just said, okay, let's do it. And September, 2010 formed Rap and Croc with, and two more staff people and started our journey. That's awesome. And, and I feel like I got to participate in a bit of that journey because last night you all had an open house at your office and uh, that I was fortunate enough to be at. And the firm sure seems like it's got a lot more than four attorneys now. How many attorneys are you all up to? We have 13 attorneys. We are in talks with a couple of attorneys right now and expect to have probably 16, I hope, by the end of this year. But but right now we have 13 attorneys. We have paralegals. Actually, a fourth one will start in a couple of days. And we have uh, a couple of legal assistants, a business development coordinator, and our firm manager, Shannon, who's fantastic. All of those people are fantastic. But And so it's it's a very good group of people. I, 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 somebody said that last night, you know, they're talking about how great the facility looks and how you know, the Lord, how good the lawyer, I said, you know what, all that's great, but just if you get to know these people as people and they're just all good people too. So. Yeah. D despite the, the overwhelming number of Aggies, I have to admit they're they're Despite that, I would still say they're all good people. They're uh, all good people. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that your logo was that A&M maroon, but as soon as you told me, I, I was able to, uh, to recognize it. So well, I, I did you Go notice ahead. that a couple of guys, a couple of guys last night that we had the flags on that were maroon that showed this is wrapping croc, and I did have a couple of Longhorns asking that next time we do this that they could be burnt orange. But you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, you know, he <laughs> when your name's on the door, the other guy's got the same background as you. We that's it's kind of easy. Not going to happen. Probably yeah, not going to yeah. happen that they're going to have a burnt orange flag. Now that is good. So. Now I'd like to talk to you a bit more about the firm and things you all do to differentiate the place because I have a story to kind of uh, highlight this. So I used to work at a CPA firm that I had headed up business development. It's called Briggs and Baselka. They've recently merged in with Crow. And this was about 20 years ago. And one day I was talking to uh, John Fladowitz, who was a partner then and later became the managing partner. And uh, we were talking about, and John did a lot of business development calls with me, and we we're talking about differentiation from the other CPA firms. And he said, oh, yeah, I mean, we're very different. I mean, I mean, our people are really committed and our people are really knowledgeable and like we really care about our clients. I mean, those are like huge differentiators. And I said, John, let me do an exercise with you. At the time, I called the big three firms in Houston, Baker Botts, Vincent and Elkins, and Fulbright and Jaworski. I said, 
those three firms, are there any difference between those firms? He goes, no, they're exactly the same. They're all big. They're all expensive. They all have really great people and they all do a great job. I'm like, okay, so how do you know which firm to call? And he goes, well, it's whichever one I have a relationship with a partner that seems like the right fit. And I said, John, that's how they look at the CPA firms. That's how the bankers look at the CPA firms. They're, they, from the outside, they're all the same. I mean, of course you expect your people to be knowledgeable. Of course you expect your people to care about serving clients. You know, of course you expect that. So that's my setup for my question of with that as a backdrop, is it even possible to truly differentiate a law firm to somebody who's not an attorney? What are your thoughts on that? I think there there is. And having, I've worked in, as I said, I've worked in a super small firm, a medium-sized firm, a very large firm, and then now in, in somewhere in between a small and medium-sized firm. And I can tell you that there is a way to differentiate. And to me, the way that, you know, there are a lot of relationships and that is really the key to the practice of law and a lot of professional services is just having a good relationship with clients. But one of the things that I think is important, and it's obviously harder for the big firms than it is for smaller firms, but is to have an identity, a real identity okay. of the firm itself and what not only can clients expect from a lawyer there, but they're going to expect this kind of firm, not just quality service. Most lawyers will be able to give quality service. I mean, um, there's a lot of good lawyers out there, but almost in the sense kind of in a brand way, like like you know the reliability of this place. And to do that, you really have to begin with, I think, an identity. And this is not just law firms. I think it works for any professional service place. And it probably, you know, I don't work in the manufacturing world, but I'm sure it works there too. But, you know, if you have a, if you have a set of values that build your identity and you say, okay, these are my values and we are going to do everything, every relationship, not just our relationships with our customers our relationships with our employees, our relationships with our vendors, even people that just walk in the door and for whatever reason, this these, this set of values and this set of identity is going to be consistent okay. uh, and, and true. And, and, and not necessarily that those set of values are, um, you know, that are unique or whatever, that, but they, are, they exist and everybody knows they exist and they know that's what you're going to build off of. Mm-hmm. And so that that's the way that we have differentiated ourselves. I mean, sure, we have a lot of great relationships, but I, but I like to be able to say that if David Spray comes into my office and comes here because he knows, I know that he can speak to anybody up and down these halls. And if he values my relationship because he values my values, those values are going to be up and down this hall. We don't hire mm-hmm. people that don't have those values. We don't keep people that have them. Usually, I mean, it's never a problem with keeping people. They're almost... You know, we hire people that have those values and those values are consistent across the board with the way that they do things. So we, you know, really don't have an issue about like people leaving, but, um, but that's, I think the way you, one of the biggest ways you can differentiate. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there's one other way that you can differentiate. Yeah. I think you can also differentiate the way you approach a client relationship versus how somebody else might approach a client relationship. Okay. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Talk to me about well, that. Well, one of our core values is relationships and it's not just any relationship. It's a long-term relationship. So for uh, the first time I meet somebody, I don't, it doesn't matter. And I, this is again, employees, vendors, clients. It is most important to me to really understand that client and what they do. And so much so that I'm going to come to your office if you want me to, or your manufacturing facility or go out in the field or whatever you want to do, wherever you're working, if that's what you want. I, I want to understand how you run your business. I'm not going to charge you for that time. I'm going to invest that time in your business up front. Okay. You, decide you don't want to work with me. That's fine. But, but I need to really understand what you do because I, you know, I can solve and help you with whatever legal problem is at your doorstep. But to really help you and, and be your lawyer, I need to not only help you solve that problem, but I have to solve it consistent with your value system, with your, the way that you run your business and how you want to do things. And that is, you know, I think lawyers just sometimes, you know, just try to solve the problem. And sometimes clients don't want to have that. They, they might not want that, but 
when they do allow us to have that kind of relationship, we just, we can head off things that that they may not have thought about because we can connect dot this dot this dot and say, well, wait, down the road, you're going to have to make this decision. Is that a decision that you're comfortable with? Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, well, then let's plot a different course. And that's not just in in a lawsuit or a transaction. That's uh, across the board and and how they do their business. And it might be, you know what, you need to, I'm going to plot a different course because you, I know your value system. This is not going to be the way that you want to do business. I just, I've learned that about you. So Mm -hmm. that, that is, I think a differentiator. And I don't think law firms, a lot of lawyers spend the time for maybe all professionals spend enough time just getting to know the other person enough to be able to be that value and and do it on, on the nickel of the law firm or the account firm or whatever it is. I mean, that that's the key is you, you know, don't charge somebody to get to know them. Mm-hmm. Have, just consider that part of your investment in, in the relationship. Sure. No, that I, I, I really like that approach. And that was the sense I had when you were representing me in a matter. I, I felt very taken care of, not taking taken advantage of. And uh, so I'm to drilling down a little more on the culture and kind of the way you guys run the firm. Have you done any, what kinds of things have you all done to kind of further solidify that culture and in kind of the way you run the firm to you know, make it just run better and you know, maybe documenting things? Have you guys you know, done anything like you know, in particular to help with that or is, did it just kind of yeah. just happen by itself? Well, you know, I, I wish I could have said, I wish that this would be one of those situations where I could say, you know, the day we started, we were so smart that we would, we would <laughs> plot our course and we would figure this out from the beginning. But, you know, when we started the firm, Brad and I, you know, we were recognizing the fact that we were, we'd known each other a year. This wasn't a long-term relationship mm-hmm. by, by far. And, and we were going, so we put the firm together. And so the first few years of our, our firm was really Ken Kroc in a litigation practice, Brad Rapp in a transactional practice, but working together very close. And, mm-hmm. and Brad has always been that kind of person to, to bring, to want the whole culture of our firm to have its identity. What we never like said, you know, we never sat down and said, what is it? So a few years ago, uh, Brad met Christine, your wife. Uh, uh, the namesake, and, the namesake of this podcast. Yes, Christine Spray, and and so so they met. I think through a Vistage group that Christine had, and and then and you know it just sort of. I mean that relationship was went a lot. I think a lot longer, but then all, eventually Brad had got to the point where he's like, you know, I really think we need to change the way that we we just manage this firm. So we, we looked around and, and Brad said, Hey, you know, why don't we bring Christine in on for EOS for the entrepreneurial operating system? Well, actually we had said, why don't we bring Christine in, in and ask her what we should do? And, and she came okay. in and, and she suggested EOS to us. And, and so we went through that process in 2018 and it was, I'm a business major mm-hmm. and I have so ROI. You probably wanted to make sure you had good ROI on you on the time and the money. I bet. Well, that, and exactly. I, I was, and plus I was also skeptical. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I certainly have enough of a full head of in, in, uh, a big head that I would, Oh yeah, sure. I could do this. I, probably don't sure. Do I mean, she, I'm sure she's great. I don't need Christine. I don't need anybody else. We can sit down and do it. Right. Just We're smart. We're smart folks. We're smart people. Yeah. I think that's a theory. So I, I told Brad, I said, I said, but you know what, Brad, you seem to be, uh, you're, you know, this seems to be something that you're fairly convinced about. Brad has always been a revenue side guy and I'm an expense side guy. So we worked well okay. together. So I said, okay, if you think it's very good for our firm, and you think it's worth the expense, I'm willing to, to go in it. But here's the deal. We're going to go in it. We're going to go to the first meeting. It's going to be an all-day meeting. And I will tell you, uh, Brad, I told Brad, and Kieran was also part of that management team. And I said, guys, if – I will tell you, by the end of that day, I'll give you – I'll tell you, outside the presence of Christine, I'll tell you guys whether I think it's worth it. Okay. And, and so we got there about 8 o'clock in the morning, and I about – 11 or 1130 before lunch arrived, I just turned to everybody in the room and Christine had no idea what was going on. I said, she's worth it. 
And I think Christine was as surprised as anybody. And now she had to understand the backstory. So I gave her the backstory. But and so she actually converted a skeptic in a way to the process and and not just the, the process, but her being the facilitator of the process mm-hmm. rather than me or rather than you know anybody else that I could think of. So that's about the I mean, for me as a litigator, I'm often called to be a skeptic. If you can convince me, that means you've got a good argument or a good mm-hmm. position and I have to recognize it. And that's kind of what I did that day. And I was, you know, I got to be changed. And so, and it, so it turned out to be very well, very good. And we then went through the rest of the process and really, I think changed I mean, that didn't change our firm. I, I hate to say that because it, all the process did was, I, I guess, is the clarified, clar- solidified and clarified and then solidified our, what we already were. Cause, cause without, I, you can ask me more detail, but generally the idea with EOS and or any of these and having that value system that I talked about is it's not aspirational. You don't sit down and say, I want to be this kind of person. Mm-hmm. You sit down and you say, what kind of person am I? What, and mm-hmm. what values are important to me? Because, because those are the ones you live. And so if you can't, if your resting place is not this set of values, it'll be very hard to be able to hold those values when, you know, and that adversarial situations occur, the challenges occur. It'll just, it'll be very hard. So pick those values based on what you, and again, as, as I always say, one, you don't have to have you don't have to have, there, there's no special values. Like these are the six that you need and this is success. You don't have to have any special values. You just need to have a set of values that you can work off. And that sure. was the first part of the whole thing that got me to like, this is, this will work. Mm-hmm. And then we drove in after that, we dove into more of the rest of EOS, which really does a great job. Um, even in a small firm like ours, a smaller firm like ours, it does a great job of just how to manage a practice. So, so anyway, I really appreciated that. And it's been the key, I think, for our, our last few years to go from about four, five lawyers, think about that time, and a couple of staff members, three or four staff members, to really double or almost triple in size from them. Yeah, that's the reason. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. I I'm sure she'll be gratified when she uh, when she listens to the episode to uh, to hear that. So so thank you for your your kind words uh, about the experience. So I'd like to drill down a little more into the the practice. Um, so the professional services experience I have has been more in the accounting arena. And it seems like one of the differences between law firms and accounting firms, well, there seem to be two. One is that, you know, the law firms don't have uh, non-competes just because, as I understand it, the profession just doesn't allow that. Is that correct? Correct. That's true. Whereas almost, I think every other professional services type organization, you know, medical practice, dental practice, vet practice, accounting, architecture, that part of the, the value resides in those non-competes, it, it seems like. But one of the nice things about the accounting profession is the recurring revenue piece of it. Because face it, people have to you know have their taxes done every year. If they borrow money and the bank wants an audit, they have to do that every year. And it seems like a lot of law firms that I've seen that they tend to be have a more of a lumpier revenue cycle because it's just all like project oriented and it's like one 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 hits, you know, they have a company comes in with an issue, they solve the issue and they never hear from them again. But it always struck me that was maybe not the best way to, to run a law firm. How do you guys run it in terms of, you know, recognizing that you maybe don't have the same abilities from a recurring revenue model as a CPA firm, but have you all tried to have relationships such that you're more like kind of the outsourced general counsel? than just a commodity service provider or talk to me about how you all think about that. Sure. Again, I hate to, you know, sound like a broken record, but one of those values is relationships. And I, when I we talk about long-term relationships, I kind of need to give you an idea of our definition of long-term. Okay. Our definition, I don't know. I, I can't speak for other people, but my definition, our definition of long-term is a decade or more. Okay. Now that's not to say that every client that we have has, we have a decade long relationship, that's, but that is to say, that's the way that we view what we're looking for. And 
And because we do have clients that we have represented for, you know, 10 years, certainly five years, that they come to us. And so we build on that model. But the second thing is we build on the fact that we have in a small firm, if you're a small and medium-sized business, you can come to our firm, especially on Brad's side, and you can get, and, and even on my side on the litigation, and get an outside counsel sort of to help you. Brad's side especially, he's got, on the transactional, I mean, let's be frank, nobody wants to talk to a litigator. I mean, it's something, <laughs> if, you're talking to, if you're talking to a trial attorney, it either means something, somebody is trying to sue you or you're suing them. There's a dispute somewhere. And frankly, it is not a really a bottom line, a revenue type business plan. Nobody says, well, I should say no, but there are certain things like in the patent world and copyright world where there are people that have litigation as a business model. But other than that, most people do not see litigation as part of their business model in any way. It's mm -hmm. what happens when, when something bad happens. So Brad's group tends to get the love of the people that want to come out because he's doing mergers and acquisitions. He's um, putting together, he's building the pie. He's helping. I'm carving the pie up or protecting the pie from other people. But because of that, we have a very strong, very strong transactional group. We have, a, we do have a strong litigation. We also have a, a probate estates, elder law trust group. And we also have a bankruptcy creditors right group. By having those mix, and then there's a couple of, there's one more area that we may be adding in the future. We cover business cycles fairly well. And so because of that, that normalizes revenue that, and that's, you know, frankly, that's what the big firms do on a very large scale is they have enough different practice areas that when the market is going down and there's litigation and there's bankruptcy and those people are actually trying to do deals or, or there's credit crunches or issues in, in that scenario, then the bankruptcy and or litigation groups will do well in those upsides, the transactional folks will do well. And then, you know, as we float along in places where we're not sure which direction we're going, you know, both will do well. But it's just rare that you'll ever have a situation where there's just nothing going on. And then, you know, we have a great estate planning and, and uh, estate administration and trust really on the trust side. Almost everybody is dealing with those issues at some point and should be. And then, and then especially just right now and just the, the the political universe and the aging of the population that that that's just a really great space and with two wonderful lawyers that do a great job in that in that space so that's how mm. we normalize our revenue um, okay uh, that makes sense I hadn't really thought about it from of trying to smooth out the revenue not by a, a recurring revenue model per se but rather having diversification within your practice. So that as things evolve and change, you end up normalizing the, the revenue. So thank you for that clarification. Well, and thank you for that education on kind of, you know, the way to smooth that out in a law firm. I hadn't really thought about it. Well, and, I, and one other thing I'd say is that, you know, large law firms, that, that's not, you know, I'm not, you know, I didn't invent that. Obviously, the large law firms sure. do that. But what I have, you know, if I, I don't say that I've invented it, the sense that we've been, what we've done here is said, you know, can a, can a smaller firm still do that kind of work at the large firm level, do it as a small firm and have that, that diversification? And the way that we do that is that we have absolute leaders. I mean, in each of those practice groups have a 20, 25, 30, 30 plus year lawyer that, that runs that or, and, and maybe multiples of those people in that group. I have in my litigation group, I have a hundred years of experience in just a few lawyers. Oh, do you um, really? And yes, I mean, with Brian Antwile and myself and Henry Flores and Matt Bushy and all the other lawyers that we have. I mean, but you know, we have like two more in the litigation group, but you're talking five lawyers and you're, you got well over a hundred years of experience, just that. And so versus you might be able to have that at a, a different firm. It might, but you might have to bring eight lawyers or nine lawyers into the and the place of 10 lawyers into the picture to really get that kind of a team. And we're always working together. So, and not at your expense, like you're not going to get Brian for me to get Brian's opinion on your case. You're not going to get my time and Brian's time and mm -hmm. somebody else's time and whatever. You're going to get one of us talking to the other one, trying to figure out what the best way, because you know collaboration is also one of our values. And so we buy into that. We have to help you. 
in that role. So anyway, sorry, went off on a little bit of a tangent there. No, that's, that is excellent. Well, talk to me about what kind of a perfect client for the firm looks like. And, and again, I'm going to ask it from the firm perspective, not your litigation, you know, department sure. specifically. So kind of what are some of the characteristics that come to mind for what you think is a great kind of client, long-term client, attorney, productive relationship? Well, I think that um, we catch people in different on the business in businesses. We represent small and medium-sized businesses and a few large, uh, okay. very large companies. But I mean, to be fair, I mean, we are in a sweet spot of small to medium-sized businesses as a business law firm in Houston. So we do catch people in different life cycles, different uh, different stages of that business life cycle. Now, mm-hmm. uh, we we have the, had the, the just the incredible luck to to represent people from the day they started their business, startup, all the way through to the point when they sold it, and then. Again, when they did a startup, and then when they sold it, and then when they did a startup, and then we're sold. We have people that are they're on their third and fourth company. And oh, they've wow. grown They've grown, you know, first sale might be a couple of million. Next sale might be 10 million. Next uh, sale might be 50 million, up to 250 mm-hmm. million. And then, you know, and then the shocking thing, well, not, maybe it's not shocking, but the thing that's always, I feel so great is then they're like, now my kid's running the business. Here's the lawyer I've used for 20 years. Now we're in the second generation and we have mm-hmm. second generation. We, we may even have a third generation client. So, but I, but what I, for me personally, what I, well, not for me personally, what for my, what I see as our role is if that, what would be the perfect client? I think the perfect client would be somebody that wants their lawyer to be part of their, wants to be, you know, they want a relationship with us. They don't view I, I don't, I'm fine. I understand. Some people view us as fungible commodity work. I, I don't believe that it's commodity work because it's, some of it may be. I don't believe it's commodity work because it's not a science. It's an art. Right. Uh, and so, so, so if it's that way, then you know you can't just say one plus one equals two because you know sometimes it, you know it's just not going to work that way in every equation. So, what I'm looking for as a client, and I think what we look for as as a group is is somebody that we can, whatever time we enter their lifestyle or their story is that we are going to have, that they want a, a, a long-term relationship, that they're open to that idea. So okay. that when I go talk to them about their business. If I come to talk to David Spray, I, I really want to understand your business at, at, and, and because it's your business, mm-hmm. mine, but I've got to take care of it, right? So mm-hmm. or I've got to help you take care of it. And, you know, a lot of people, I mean, honestly, their business, you know, right after their wife, right after their kids, their business is, is, is their, is their biggest child in their life, their biggest thing in their life. And so we take care of it from that perspective. But if you're walking around just thinking, you know what, lawyers are a dime a dozen and I'm going to whoever's cheapest, whoever's cheapest or whoever's, you know, you know, I I mean, cheapest or just, you know, can get it done and, and will tell me what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. Another one, you know, is, you know, fine. That's okay. I mean, I, I, there are lawyers out there. They'd be happy to help with you. Please talk to them. That's I, not you know, guys. That's not your, that's not you're looking to serve. I'm looking for somebody who wants me to be part of their team and that I'm not going to get in the way. I mean, they're the business people. You run your business, you know what you do, but you know, I want to be the person that says, Hey, how are we going to, how are you going to do this? You know, I, I can be more in, in the, I get called as a, I have clients um, that I get called as a litigator so far in advance before there's in, even a dispute, just to, what do you think? I mean, does this, mm-hmm. this, you think this guy's worth, worth it as either investing in him as a client or I mean, or as, a, or as an employee or, you know, continuing to invest in it or, you know, I mean, I sometimes shape the relationships for them because, oh, because really? of that. That's, just that's a, I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. No, I and, can and, tell. I hear the. I, I I can hear the the passion in in your voice. So to kind of keep things moving, we're as we're rounding the home stretch. I've got just a, a couple more questions. And these are a little a, a little kind of simpler simpler sure. questions. So 
What do you find most satisfying or rewarding in your career at this point as a you know name partner, a, a founding partner, you know, in a small to medium sized Houston law firm where you wear a number of hats? What comes to mind as maybe being the one or two things that just gives you the most satisfaction or gratification? Satisfaction, I guess, is the word. Sure. I think the first one I would say is people. The somebody asked me a question uh, the other day about you know what was the one thing you learned about with COVID. What was the one thing you know that you learned about with COVID and your business? And I said, well, when we sent everybody home and we worked remote, how much I missed everybody. Hmm. And and so I actually missed them. I, and so mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, we did, we did calls in the morning. We did check-ins and we tried to do, keep it, but you just, I missed the casual, you know, what's going on in your life kind of moments. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we keep our firm at a, at a size that if I don't know your name, your spouse's name, your kids' names, your dog's names, if mm-hmm. I don't know what's the most important things in your lives, like I know the firm is very high on the list, but it's not the highest. But I, if I don't know what those important things are in your life, then it's not worth it. I mean, honestly, that's why I part of the reason I left the large law firm is I wanted to be around that. And I have a group of those people that I generally like all of them. And, you know, you know, and so that that's one of the that's probably one of the things that gives me the greatest satisfaction is just being part of a bigger, something that's much bigger than myself. I mean, it's this firm, mm-hmm. yeah, my name's on the door, but my, this firm is, my name's on the door, as I've always said, a good hacksaw can take it off. But, um, <laughs> but, but the reality of it, you know, I just get to, I get to do the podcast. I, you know, I, it's not that, I mean, I'm, and so those people are really what I really love. The second thing I really love is I, and, and, and you couch it in a way of sort of, aging on in my career is that I am uh, that is just the kind of the trusted relationship of an advisor to clients Um, Mm -hmm. and and to other people, just not just that. I mean, talk to a guy this weekend who's just started his firm and he was said, you know, Ken, you know, you, you know, I, I, would you mind just sitting down with me and talking to me about it? He's a, he would be technically a competitor. He's an Aggie. So of course he gets to every Aggie gets an interview. Every Aggie gets sure. attention. So, sure. so I, I told him, I said, you know, absolutely. Give me a call. And just being able to maybe help the next group or help somebody else mm-hmm. kind of a neat thing. I, 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 I never thought, I mean, years ago, I, those probably wouldn't have been the two things that I thought were going to be my legacy in my life. I mean, obviously my kids are a legacy in my family, but that is the real legacy of my life. But on top of that is the people at this firm and then the other ability to just touch people's lives, both as a client level, as a mentor, as you know, that, that thing just, I, I never thought that would be the case, but that is the case. Sure. No, I, I get it. And that makes and I, I, I can certainly appreciate that. But we're down to just our last two questions. The time has certainly flown by. So let's go back to the time machine. Let's go back to when you were, say, 22 years old or 25 years old, your call, either when you were just about to enter law school or you had just graduated from law school. If you could go back in time and give advice to that younger version of yourself, what advice might you give to yourself, you know, based on, you know, kind of the life experience you have now? Well, I, I will tell you the tongue in cheek answer to that is that I, I do realize that if I'd gone back to A&M and I'd played more golf in all my spare time, I might've had a chance, not a great chance, but I might've had a chance, you know, to be, to do something there. But the real answer is and I wish I'd done this actually back in A and M and certainly at law school is that I was just so focused on getting through and getting it done and you know getting to class and getting the work done and doing these things and sort of the bubble the, the I didn't want the bubble to be very big because I I just I couldn't handle it and I really wish and what I told a lot of people is start when you are young. This entire world is about relationships. Agreed. I, I mean, it, it is 
you know, if you're an Aggie, you just come in with this great built-in thing with this network. I mean, obviously UT has a great network too, but I, I mean, a and M's is different. A uh, and M's is a tighter one. I I would agree. And so, so if you're going to A and M, but wherever you go to school, first of all, start with the idea of expanding your friend group, looking for people. That's the first thing. Just find okay. the other people that have the same thing, and taking the time that as you move through life and it becomes more difficult to have those relationships, to keep those relationships, reach out to them, those people, start you know, invest enough to understand what they're going through and have, you know, just have that relationship. So in 20 years, you just never know. You never know when you might be the person that can help somebody else in a really tough place in their life and change their life. And, or, or maybe not, maybe it's just day to day, just helping them through or, and you never know when they might, you might need that person, or you might be looking across the, the desk at an interview where a job that you just have to take care of your family. And the person over there is, you know, eyes that you've seen. And so, or that you've, you know, or that maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's you walk in there and, and you just like, wow, you know, that they, well, I've heard of you because we both have this person in common. That mm-hmm. is, you, that I'm just shocked by that. But I wish I'd known that then I would have started earlier in my life and, and just not been, I had my head down as much. Uh, okay. Done so, that at an early stage. Yeah. So let me see if I can summarize it from my own understanding. It sounds like you wish you that the conclusion a lot of people come to and not necessarily early in their life is that at the end of the day, relationships are really all that matter. It sounds like that was one advice to yourself. And the second would be, it sounds like you, uh, if I heard you to maybe spend a little more time enjoying the journey instead of just being in such a, a rush to just, you know, get through it. And the third is, you know, b- by recognizing earlier on that relationships are all that matter, be more cognizant of that when you were younger to be aware and receptive and spend some energy kind of nurturing those because that, that would have, it sounds like resulted in a, a richer life. Does that? I, about- I mean, all of that is true. I mean, I absolutely know I'm not, where I am without a lot, a lot of people that for some reason got in my corner at some point in my life and especially in the professional world and helped me out. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I, and I just wish that I had, I just wish I'd understood that value and not had my head down and paid it and really just started that earlier in, in my life. And I, you know, mm-hmm. that's okay. I mean, you know, I'm still here. I'm still going. So we'll, uh, that's great with that idea. So I appreciate the the self reflection and in candid consideration of that answer. So so thank you. So I've got just two more questions. The first one's a short and fun one. In this okay. one, you just I just want you to give your gut answer. Just don't really think about it. Okay. Okay. It's a multi. Nervous. It's a it's a either or question. Okay. Bar- barbecue or Tex Mex. Oh God, uh, Tex-Mex. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think I'd have to agree with that one. I had to ask that of every guest. One guest said something really interesting. They said it depends on the caliber of the food. They said if it's like if this is like top five percentile food, you know, the top five percentile of Tex-Mex or the top five percentile of barbecue, he would take the barbecue. But if he knew in advance that he was, say, traveling on business and the two restaurants were, let's just say, average, you know, good enough, but not exceptional, that he'd pick the Tex-Mex because that has more tolerance. I, I think I would agree with that completely. I also think that there has to be something is where you're going to eat it because, you know, to me, barbecue tends to be a all-in and all-over <laughs> sure. event. Especially so if you have ribs, uh, especially if you throw some exactly. ribs into the mix. So I can tend to at least eat Tex-Mex with uh, a knife and fork. And so uh, it, it kind <laughs> of depends on the environment and who's watching me. So that's a good point. I've never really thought of that. So yeah, like if you're at a, uh, 
like at a big, like say they're honoring you like for the Aggie Lifetime Achievement Award and there's like a thousand people and you're sitting up on the, the, the platform with the four other honorees and they say, hey, do you want some ribs or do you want some, some enchiladas? I think you're saying that maybe the enchiladas might uh, be more I'm, elegant to eat. Every time, every time, I'm going to definitely get the enchiladas. Otherwise, when I get up for whatever reason and try to grab something, there's going to be a whole <laughs> dripping hand of, of barbecue sauce and, and uh, people will not like it. So That um, is great. That, no. That is great. I agree. So uh, the last question is just, is there anything we didn't talk about that you think you, we should have or any question that I didn't ask that you wish I had? You no, know, not really. I, you know, to me, the, you know, we have, we talked about sort of the, sort of the origin story. I mean, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer from a very young age. Okay. Um, I don't think that people have to always do that, but I did know that. And, you know, I think that if you're going to be, you know, and so I, I, that that was the only thing I, I thought we were gonna, we would talk about, but but I have, I've always wanted to be, I, I knew I always wanted to be a lawyer, and I'm always surprised at where people make that decision in their life, and so and so like somebody like yourself, you know, if you always wanted to be an accountant or or you just or or something triggered or happened along the way that said, okay, I'm going to be, you know, I'm gonna work in accounting. That's what I'm gonna do. So. That was the only thing, but mine, you know, I can answer that question very easily when I was 15 years old in Dwight Harrison's class at Victoria High School of Business Law, basically okay. 00.1 is when I decided. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I've never thought of it any other way that I would do anything else other than be a lawyer. No, that's a great question that I really need to, to kind of ask, add to my kind of standard list of, you know, what age did you uh, decide that you wanted to do what you're doing? That's a great question. And thank you for that. And, you know, I've got to say, I always have, have enjoyed, I've always gravitated toward lawyers my whole career. I almost went to law school. I had a, a super high LSAT score. And when I took the business law part of the CPA exam, I had like one of the highest scores, I think, in the state at the time. So I really, the law just really kind of resonates with me and the people who practice it resonate with me. And, uh, and, and so if you're curious, the answer to my question, I was a sophomore in, in college and was uh, taking the first weed out course in the business school and it was accounting and I did real well. And the instructor suggested I do that. And that was kind of how it worked. I had that, so, I had that same class and it, uh, but it weeded me out of any other hope of being an accounting major. So, uh, <laughs> so it, it just reconfirmed my pathway. Let's put it that way. I love it. Well, hey, Ken, I really appreciate you taking time to, to talk to me today. And this was really fun. And I was really, it was fun to hear your story and uh, hear kind of the story of the firm. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's really a, a great firm and you guys really do have a great culture. So thanks well, for taking David, thank time. You. Well, well, David, thank you for having me on, and I certainly appreciate it. It's been fun talking to you, and the giggle. And there we have it, another great episode on the Christine Spray Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at christinespray.com. And you can find out more about how we can be a resource to you at strategiccatalystinc.com. All the best in your continued success until the next time we talk.